Welcome to the Freedom Nation podcast with Jeff Kickel. On this show, Jeff shares his expertise in financial and retirement planning from a different perspective. Planning for your Freedom Day, which is the first day that you wake up and have enough income or assets and do not have to go to work that day. Learn how to calculate what you need, how to generate income sources, and listen to interviews from others who've done it themselves. Get ready to experience your own Freedom Day. It's Jeff here once again with the Freedom Nation podcast. And today we have Kyle Simmons on. Kyle's in a very similar business to me and we have some really interesting, very similar kind of pathways and and feelings. So this is going to be a fun conversation. Kyle, welcome to the show, bud. Yeah, thank you, Jeff. Appreciate you being here. Glad to have you on. I'm really excited to to talk about this. I think we've got a lot of stuff that we discovered pre this that we, we can have a good conversation on. But why don't we get started with your story? Well, tell us a little bit about how, to, how you got to where you are today. Yeah. So, I went to college at the University of Colorado for electrical engineering. And like most people, I really did not know what I wanted to do with my life at age 18. I was pretty good at math and science and I thought engineering would pay well. So, off I went into engineering and as soon as I graduated, I found that engineering as a job was very different than engineering as a student. I went to work for a Fortune 500 company and had a really nice set of benefits. And it was through those benefits that I realized, oh, I have a 401k. What is a 401k? I had no clue what that was because my parents didn't talk about it. My high school didn't talk about it. And definitely my college didn't talk about it. So, I started doing a little digging into what this thing called personal finance is and found out that I loved it. I loved personal finance. I just started digging into books about investing, about retirement, uh, reading all sorts of popular blogs, which we all have heard of and know about. I actually ended up writing my own blog for a couple of years. So, dug really deep into it and then I realized, hey, I could make this my profession. You know, I, I don't really like engineering. I don't like working in a cubicle. I don't like staring at a computer screen all day long. You know, I thought I was going to be doing something else, right? And so, I looked into financial planning and interviewed with a few companies and I realized it really wasn't what I wanted to do, at least the way that it was presented, the opportunities, the entry-level opportunities that were available. It was mainly selling insurance or annuities on a commission basis to my 100 favorite friends and family. <laughs> and <laughs> burned out until he burned through that list and then, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I, I never took that job. I stayed in engineering. And this whole time in the background, I was like, oh, you know, I don't like engineering. I'm not really enjoying it. And I really like this personal finance thing, but I don't know how to make it happen. So, eventually, about two years ago, I started up my current firm. And I worked concurrently in both jobs in my engineering role and in uh, as an investment advisor. And then finally, this February, I went full time as a as a financial planner. Brilliant, brilliant. Now, do you do money management as well, or do you just do straight up, you know, fee uh, fee only financial planning? I do. So I do. It's fee only, but it, I also do investment management on a AUM basis. 
So for my clients that have money that they want me to manage, I will invest it for them. I also do the financial planning side, which to be honest, both are are very interesting to me. Um, the investment management side kind of tickles a certain part of my analytical brain. But the financial planning side is actually the more fulfilling part of the job because especially as I work with folks that are a little earlier on in their career, uh, in other words, they're still working, there's a little a lot of opportunities for life planning, um, for talking to them about what they really want in their life, for talking to them about why we're actually saving. Like, what are we saving for? Is it just this, this idea of retirement at 65? Where did you get 65 from? Why do you want to retire at 65 and travel? What does that even mean? Those types of conversations I find really fulfilling because usually we come out of it with a lot better definition of the client's goals, of what they value, and also usually some sort of change in their life to go and get and achieve those goals and values sooner than they would have otherwise. Mm-hmm. So let's talk a little bit about your transition there. I mean, it, it took you a while. I mean, it was the same thing for me. You know, I, I think you put it before it was the golden or the the silver handcuffs. Not yeah, the, the silver handcuffs. handcuffs. You know, what was it? When, when did you make that decision? Okay, it's now time. You know, it, it's funny. I told you I started my firm two years ago, but I didn't actually make that go decision until about a year and a half in. So, I, you know, if you know engineers, you know, we're very risk averse. We're afraid of change and we want to make sure we've thought through every little thing before we do anything. And so, that's, that's what I did. I signed clients. I made sure that I liked the job. And even after that, I still felt those sil- what I call the silver handcuffs, which is, hey, I was getting paid really good money. I was working from home a large majority of the time. I enjoyed my coworkers and I had a great manager. I had good benefits. If I just rode that train, things would be pretty good, you know, and, and they had provided a lot of things for me, you know, my home and for my family. And so, it was very hard to, to jump from that known, stable, secure place that I was successful at and felt confident in and drew my, my quite frankly, my value and my self-worth from being defined as a successful engineer into jumping into something completely new that could fail. And and so, it took a long time. But I think in my head, I made the decision maybe about September of 2022 to go to completely quit. However, I didn't actually tell my manager until January. And I could tell you <laughs> over Christmas break, I went back and forth about 10 times. So, it was still a very difficult decision. Even though I had the business up and running, I had clients, I had a funnel. And I still struggled with it, which I, a lot of my clients do too when, when they're looking at their own changes. Yeah. Well, and I mean, you know, I think that's the, it's, it's making that decision. But in the end, you knew, okay, I, I, you know, the way I looked at it when I left corporate and I launched my businesses, you know, I, for me, it was, you know, what's the worst case scenario? I, okay. I'd been in the financial industry for, you know, almost what? 20 years, 22 years at that point. So, I was like, you know, worst case scenario, I just go back and I find another job in the financial industry. Yeah. So, worst case scenario, you go back to being an engineer. Yeah, I know. I know. And and there's opportunities. You know, I I live in a a part of the country where there's a lot of opportunities to go back. But, you know, (laughs) 
that kind of logic doesn't always enter into the decision. There's a lot of fear and a lot of uh, fear of change and just fear of failure, I think. So, but fortunately, I was able to climb that mountain and I was able to put in my two weeks notice and it's been great. It's been amazing. I wish I would have done it sooner. I wish I would have done it two years ago. I wish I would have done it 10 years ago. I, I said the same thing. I mean, I, you know, I, I knew for years I wanted to be my own boss. I knew I wanted to get out of the corporate world, but I, you know, I, I did it for almost 22 years you mm. know, before I made that jump. So, you know, don't feel bad. It, you could be worse. And I didn't <laughs> have the guts to do it. And I, and I tried multiple times to start businesses, but, you know, when you have something you're getting paid really well doing, it's like, okay, when something gets hard, you're like, yeah. You know, I don't, I don't need to do that anymore. It's not, it wasn't my passion. And really it wasn't until I actually went out and built businesses. I, and I found out that was my passion was actually building businesses and, you know, building streams of cash flow and things like that. Well, I couldn't really do that inside of corporate. So there was no real other option for me at that point. And, you know, as I've told my wife, I, I would live in a car before I go back to work for somebody and she looks at me and, <laughs> Well, I think that's a good idea for you, but it ain't, ain't going to be me. So, yeah, you're living in the car, not me. You're living in the car. I'm not. I'm living in the house. So, you just keep making money. So, you know, let's talk a little bit about your process. How do you approach financial planning when it comes to, let's say, I'm a new client coming in. I'm an engineer. How do you really approach it in your world? Yeah. So, I try to focus or I try to work on or with engineers tech professionals, and basically analytical type people. There's a reason for that. I, it, you know, when I was starting my business two years ago and I, I told some some mentors and some other people in the industry that I was trying to, to focus or niche on engineers, everybody told me it was a horrible idea. Well, first of all, engineers are do-it-yourselfers. They're not going to be willing to pay for help. Number two, engineers are horrible horrible clients because they ask too many questions. And so, I thought, well, you know what? That's okay because I have solutions for both of those things. I have answers for why I want to work with both of those things. And what I found is engineers and other... I, I use the word engineer just to refer mm -hmm. yeah, to the mentality. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. Really a way of thinking. thinking. It's in that analytical kind of profession. You got it. You got it. So, engineers, we... When we... We'll look to hire somebody, especially someone like a financial planner who's going to be, you know, a large cost, going to have a lot of access and, and information about us. We want to trust them. And trust isn't established with a suit and tie or with a fancy Porsche, at least for the analytical types. Trust is established by being able to answer questions answer technical questions and to show that you have the knowledge and the capability. And so what I've found is, yes, engineers do ask questions, but if you answer them, if you're willing to go deep with them on whatever thing that they want to know about, eventually you establish that trust and the, you don't have all the questions. They just trust you. They're willing to do what they hired you to do, which is to take this off my plate. I'm too busy. I want to focus on something else. Please take it off my plate, but I need to trust you first. And so, this has been, you know, kind of part of my, my marketing is that, hey, I'm an engineer. I work with people like you. I'm not afraid, you know, I'm not afraid to work with you. And so, 
In terms of my process, that's a lot of what we do. I spend a lot of time up front in meetings with my clients. I, I was talking to someone who works at a large national firm and I think they, uh, for to onboard their clients, they spend maybe three, four hours in front of the client. At a minimum, I'm spending 16 hours with the client, sometimes longer. And that part of that process is to establish the trust. I also do that to do, we deep dive on the goals and the values um, discovery process. So that's at least four hours of just deep diving into why are you saving money? What do you value in life? And oftentimes there's a couple and they may have different values. So trying to figure out where's the middle ground, you know, it's not actually, it's not unusual for one to not want to work because they hate their job and the other one to love their job and to keep wanting to work. So oftentimes they see that as black and white. We don't have mutual values. But there's usually a way to, to craft a lifestyle that works for both of them. So that's, I spent a lot of time in that, what I call goals and values discovery process. Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, that the, the fact that you're willing to put in that kind of time, you will win the clients because most people aren't willing to put in the time. And I think it frustrates and pisses off a lot of engineers. You know, I find myself doing something similar. I grew up the sun talked about, you know, you you went to school and you're like, okay, this is what I wanted to do. I got about halfway through school and realized there was no way in hell I wanted to be an engineer. Uh, I grew, <laughs> you know, I grew up as the son of an engineer. So, I understand that that logic-based mind and, you know, having to kind of prove everything. I always tell people, you know, it's like with my engineering clients, I'm like, hey, it took almost 14 years to convince my parents to actually become clients. <laughs> my dad was you know, like, oh, I'm creating spreadsheets and all this. And I'm like, you do realize I have a software package that I can do that in like four and a half seconds. Mm. Um, but, you know, he had to he had to prove it himself. And he he still to this day runs his own side, you know, spreadsheet plan just so that for him, it's like, OK, I understand how the numbers work. Once I understand the numbers. And, and I think that's the biggest thing with engineering clients that I think frustrates a lot of people in our industry who you would think they're financial minded people, but were in some cases not. I mean, you're your salespeople in a lot of cases. Yeah. And you don't think in that kind of logical step by step mindset. And, you know, the engineering clients I've had, I I just know we're gonna have to put in a little bit more time for them to understand how everything works. And then once they do, it's like they're loyal as hell. They never go at yep. all. You know, they're going to stay with you as a client forever once you gain their trust. So, you know, yeah, you, you might have to put in a little bit more work up front, but that's okay. You know, yeah. the, you know, you're not going to have to be on the back end and getting a few of those very highly paid clients that stay forever builds, a you know, a, a long-term business for you. Yeah. And I have to admit, a little confession I obviously I pay for all the financial planning software. I have two or three packages that I that I mm. pay for. Yeah, I also have my own spreadsheets. <laughs> of course you do, <laughs> and uh, and and I have a, a pre retirement spreadsheet. You know that helps calculate when they can re retire, and I also have a post retirement spreadsheet. And I always run what the software does by my own spreadsheets, and just because you know I want to know how the numbers are working. <laughs> yeah, well, I will, but. Once again, that's that's how it works. That's how your mind works. It's what you were yep. trained to do. So why wouldn't you do that? 
Exactly. Um, and exactly. I, I mean, I, I have to admit, I do kind of the same thing in a lot of cases, especially if somebody presents something to me where it's, you know, oh, it's this amazing return and all that. Okay, let me dig deep and I want and... I need to understand how the numbers work before I'm willing to, to talk about this with a client. You know, and once I understand how the numbers work, we're good and we can go from there. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Back to real quick, if I could just comment on the DIY portion. Yeah. So a lot of engineers are DIYers okay. and, and that's okay. Yeah. Uh, my job is not to work with every engineer out there. I myself was a DIYer in a lot of areas and yeah. then I got busier and then I had three kids and then I started doing really th things that I would have rolled my eyes at and called myself stupid, like paying for my lawn to be mowed. Yeah. <laughs> because I was a DIYer. Why would you ever pay for your lawn to be mowed? At some point, I found that I was too busy, I was overwhelmed, I needed to offload something. Where can I pay for time? And so, there's some people that never get to that overwhelm and that's great. I'm super happy for them and I don't try to I don't try to work with them. But there are people, even engineers, that are eventually get so overwhelmed or they eventually just don't like dealing with money that they they don't want to take care of it. And one more thing about that don't wanting to, don't want to deal with money. A lot of engineers I've found are actually first generation I won't say wealthy, but first generation high income earners. Yeah. Yeah. They're you know, they they went to school and they did realize, hey, I got a great income. Yeah, you know, what do I do with it? I've I've never yeah, you, know, you didn't have that family side. Exactly. And it, exactly. And not only do they not know really what to do, but some of them, a lot of them, they they have some internal what I call invisible scripts, you know, you've probably heard that term. They have some things running around in their head that they have a, a negative relationship with money, right? Because of the way that they were raised, whether they were raised, you know, poor and so they're afraid to spend money, which is not an uncommon thing, or they were raised in a way that they, their family spent all the money. And so, I think that's another reason why there are, there's a group, a subset of engineers that are willing to offload and outsource financial planning because they have those, those kind of, the, that feeling that just money just stresses me out and I don't want to deal with it. Well, and I think, you know, the other side of the coin too is, you know, and I think for a lot of my clients that end up coming over that are, you know, uh, that, that they've been DIYers for a long time, there's a there's a certain dollar amount. I think it's a mm. certain dollar amount in a certain time of their life that all of a sudden they start realizing, hey, crap, this is real at this point. I mean, it's, it's a real amount of money. I don't want to lose it and I really need somebody's help to guide me along the path. You know, and and I think everybody reaches that point. I mean, I don't, you know, I, I think somebody who's young and getting started, they don't need me. You know, they don't need somebody who's got 30 years experience doing this. You know, they they just need some guidance. And, you know, for me, a lot of that is the books and the, the, the online programs that I've created for those people that are kind of getting started or, you know, they're, they're trying to retrain their brain to, to think more like a business owner than an employee. And yeah. You get to a point where it's like, okay, this got real. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now it's like, okay, I'm I'm 10 years out from retirement. Am I on track? Yes, I've put my little spreadsheets together, but I'm not sure if my spreadsheet's completely right. Yep. So, yep. What am I That's exactly right. You know, it, it, it's, we're always going to be there and not everybody's going to be your client. You know, I think yep. what I've learned after all these years, 
I, I turn more people away than I bring in as clients just mainly because I don't think they're, I am not a good fit for them. They're not a good fit for me. And, and that's okay. I'm still going to try and help them if I can. But, you know, I mean, some of those people just hire me to do straight up financial planning. Yeah. You know, and I think that's why our model works a little bit better. Yeah. Well, yeah, it is, it is nice to be able to kind of offer what the client needs instead of what, you know, having one hammer and, and just trying to make it a solution for everything. Behind, behind door number one is an annuity. Behind door number <laughs> two, an annuity. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so, what, you know, when you look at now two years into it, especially this year into it, would you done, would you have done anything differently? Hmm. So, there's some interesting things to say about this. So, what I, what I left out is that I actually started a small financial planning firm for a, about six months right before I, I had this firm. And it was focused purely on the financial planning portion. So, and it was a retainer model. I don't know if you're familiar with that word. Maybe the audience isn't, but basically people would pay a monthly amount. What I found was, and the idea, real quick, the idea was to actually work with younger folks where we could have a, a larger impact on their life trajectory by offering this retainer model because it didn't matter how much assets they had to actually manage. This was being pushed really strongly at the time. And, and what I found was this interesting kind of dilemma, which is that the people that I think would really benefit from the life planning, they just aren't willing to pay for it. And the people that are retired, that they've already had their life planning. You know, we could talk a little bit about how much, you know, what we're doing in retirement. Maybe we can encourage them to spend more or less. They really value the financial planning because it's very quantitative. You can actually show them how much you're going to save them in tax planning, like this year, you know, potentially. And so, I ended up shutting that firm down. So, the lesson learned was you need to understand what your target audience wants and what they're willing to pay for, not just what you think they should they need. And so, I've tried to build my second firm, Simmons Investment Management. I've tried to build it in a way that they come to me. It's called Simmons Investment Management. They come to me for investment management to manage their assets because that's what they think they need and they do need it. But I, what I say is I surprise them with financial planning. And, and that's the way I built my model. So, if they have over a certain amount of assets, I include financial planning for free. And at the end of that process, every single one of them goes, oh my gosh, I love this. I'm so glad we went through the financial planning. I've never done that before with any other investment manager. And so, that's, that's the new model, right? I, I'm still giving them what I think they need, but I'm letting them come to me and pay for what they think they need. And I think that lesson could, could be applied to any job or any career in any field. Well, and, and I will tell you, I mean, that's been my process for, you know, going on 30 years at this point. So, you know, I mean, financial planning is just part, but financial planning is the required portion of the process. So, when I sit down with a client, I just tell them, you know, we're going to do financial planning whether you want to or not. You know, you're basically, you're basically asking me to chauffeur a car for you and then not tell me where you want to go. And so, if I don't know where to go, how am I going to really manage a account for you? 
So it's just part of the process. And, you know, quite frankly, whether they come to you for investment management or come to you for planning, I mean, it should be the same process regardless. This is what we do. This is how we do it. This is how I help you achieve what you want. And I mean, what it does is it it market downturn proofs your portfolio of business, of clients. Because when the market goes down, you can go back to that financial plan and say, all right, well, remember in this financial plan, I told you there were some outlier years. Well, this is an outlier year. You know, sure. look at the plan and see that, okay, it's X. You know, it's still on track regardless of what happened. And, you know, 99% of the time they're, you know, if you're using a, a Monte Carlo analysis model, it, it changes maybe one or 2% on either side of the, the piece. And every time I do that with a client, it's like, well, look over the financial plan. Let's see if we're on track. Remember I told you we're going to have some great years. We're going to have some bad years and we'll have a lot of them in the middle. Well, this is just one of those outlier years. So don't sweat it. You know, yeah. hey, we're still going to manage, you know, we're not going to just let it go and blow up. You know, we're also not going to go to cash and then sit around and wait and then loot and miss the upside of the market. Yeah. Yeah. I do a lot of client education up front. Part of the, uh, the onboarding time is client education. I find that's really important because otherwise, if you haven't done it, then people start freaking out. But if you have done it, people understand, okay, this is just part of what investing in the market means. And so, yeah, ultimately, I, I find that after I do that education, clients are fine through the ups and downs. You know, again, I've only had a few clients through COVID, but those clients that I did have, that I did the education with, it went well. Well, but I mean, you know, you look at last year's market and that was a pretty big whammy for you to jump in feet first into. So, I mean, if you if you made it through last year... You know, the rest of it's kind of a breeze because, I mean, last year was a pretty bad year, you know, when it comes to pretty much everything. That's right. Yeah. 60-40 portfolio was down 16%. Yeah. That, yeah. That was that was really rough. And luckily, yeah. I didn't lose any clients to do it. Yeah. Well, I mean, and they stuck with you throughout. So, I mean, that's saying a lot. So, just, you know, I mean, it's sometimes the best is to, to be in the middle of a, a firestorm and, and go from there. Well, good. Well, let's uh, let's switch gears here, Kyle, and talk a little bit about the Fast Five questions now. You ready? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So, you wake up in the morning. Business is gone. You have 500 bucks in your pocket, laptop, computer, place to live. What are you going to do first? Okay. So, I have two answers to this question. I don't know if the first one's cheating, but, you know, developing your skill set and your connections. So, is is the way to go in life, right? When I went to college... And, and I started being an engineer and I came out, my mentality was everything's a meritocracy. It's what you know that's important. And what I've since found out is what you know is very important, but who you know is even more important. And so, you know, I would probably just go to my friends that own businesses, my former managers and, and try to find a job. So, I have those previous skill sets, those previous connections. Uh, let's say that's not the case because that, to me, that's, that's the cheater answer. What I would probably do, honestly, I would probably start mowing lawns. <laughs> I'd probably buy a lawnmower and start mowing lawns. I, I'm always shocked at how much people are willing to pay to get their lawns mowed. And the people that do it, they don't run their business the way that I would. They don't have automatic payments. They don't have, you know, good communication. And so, I would start there. That might not be where I end up. But I think no matter what your interests are, 
there's probably a way to develop that into a six-figure business. Maybe not a seven-figure business, but you could probably develop almost anything into a six-figure business if you have the right business mind for it and you do great customer service. Yeah. And I mean, especially if you can get yourself out of the mindset of, well, I'm going to be the one that's always doing all the mowing. You know, oh, I, of course. I'd go out there and start mowing just to, to start generating some cash. And then I'd be starting to hire people and I'd become the marketer for the business. And, you know, I'm not going to be the one sweating out there. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I mean, that's the eventual uh, yeah. path of most businesses, right? You end up doing yeah. the bidding work and you hire people to do the labor. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So, next one. What's your biggest business mistake that you've ever made? <laughs> so, I'm lucky that I haven't had huge business mistakes. So, I'll tell you some little ones, but I'm lucky that I haven't had major mistakes, you know, whether that's investing mistakes or, or in other, you know, in my previous companies or, or roles. The minor mistakes that I've made so far in my new business is... I've spent way too much money on marketing that didn't work. <laughs> and I actually don't think it's a huge mistake. It's more of a, a lesson learned. I mean, as long as you're, that's right. As long as you're not, you know, hurting anyone, doing anything unethical or going to jail, it's probably a learning lesson more than a mistake. And so that's what this has been. I'm still trying to figure out the marketing game. It's, it's always an easy, like, a, you know, and they say a boat is a hole in the water you throw money into. I'm pretty sure marketing is the same way until you find the thing that works for you. And so, it's not really a mistake, but that's that's what came to mind. Yeah, it is. Uh, it, I will tell you, I've I've been there, done that, and have the uh, the scars on my back to to show of, of the amount of money that I've spent on marketing. And of course, there is a bazillion people in our industry or in the marketing industry that think they know how to generate business financial advisor. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You get contacted uh, multiple times a day on LinkedIn oh, um, from God, people yes. that seem to specialize in your exact thing. <laughs> we just know everything there is about generating leads. Yeah, I don't think so. What's a good book that you'd recommend for our audience? Okay. So, there's a couple great books. I thought a little bit about this when you sent me over the question. And I think I think specifically said for entrepreneurs. So that's what I thought through. I have a million great books, and maybe I'll recommend a couple other ones too. But specifically for entrepreneurs, the first one that comes to mind is Dale Carnegie: How to Make Friends and Influence People. Are you familiar with that book? I love it. It's one of my top tens. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. So that's a great book to read. And similarly, How to Stop Worrying and Start Living. I think is what it's called. Yep. How to Stop Worrying and Start Living by Dale Carnegie. Also another great book. One more for entrepreneurs. You know, I don't really follow the book, but the way that just the the thought process and the way that you can think through things and and really evaluate your business. And it's an oldie, but a goodie too. Oldie now is the four-hour work week. I love that book as well. So, I know they're kind of older books, but uh, those are the ones that I would recommend for an entrepreneur. I, I did. I think it was a 2021. So I my I got my grandfather's library when he died. So I I had just grabbed all the books and I kind of just put them on a bookshelf. I didn't really do anything with them and I just happened to be going through my bookshelf like right during Christmas time kind of figuring out what I wanted to read and found that book and I've got an original copy of the book. So it's a first Oh, great. Which one? My grandfather. 
Yeah, the, the how to win president. Dale Carnegie. Oh uh, yeah. And, uh, and so I mean, it was you know, so it was written. God, I think like in the early 1930s or something. And what I did, I mean, it's got 26 principles in there. So what I ended up doing is I decided that I would live one of those principles every two weeks, and um. report back on on my results on uh, YouTube. So if you if you guys go out there and look at my YouTube channel, you could see it. But there's there's like a whole series of like every two weeks I would do one of these and talk about the experiences I had and all that. It was the greatest year of my life. Wow, that sounds great. I'm gonna have to check that out and yeah, maybe duplicate just, yeah, it. Cool. Yeah, it was just such a cool experience. You know, and I mean they're common sense things. I mean, it's like you should treat people the way you you know, want to be treated. Yeah. <laughs> there's just so many things in there that you're like, when you got done, you just felt good. You know, I felt, when I came out of 2021, I just felt great doing that. So, I mean, I, I, I'm i right there with you. I love that book. For our work week, the people on here know I've literally read it a thousand times. I, I read it three to four times a year because I really find okay. new and I also yeah. find it helps me to go, oh shit, I'm, I keep getting into this same loop of, you know, I've got all this email in my stuff. Okay, wait a minute. I got to get more efficient again. And yep. I just go back and I, I just love the book. I think he, he did such a good job. I, I realize he was a little wordy now that I go back and read it. But I mean, it's it's just, it's good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And you have to, re- you have to remember when it was written too, because he talks a lot about getting into like industry magazines, which I don't think really works anymore. Yeah. But the ideas, the concepts of how do you rethink sure. what you're doing, I think are yeah. timeless. Well, I mean, even the principles that he has in there, I mean, it was, it was so, it was so much less complicated back then to run Google ads and things like that. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. a lot of the principles he talks in there about how to test, you know, kind of market test, even how he market tested the name of the book, you know, he just ran Google ads to see what attracted people and that, you know, he finally found the four hour work week, which he's like, has nothing to do with anything he's talking about, but that's the title that resonated with everybody. And, you know, Okay, throw it on the book, and then it sold you know multi multi billions of of dollars over time. So yeah, yeah, it's a great book. I'll, yeah. I'll give you one more book. Um, it's not for entrepreneurs, but what's that? This is the bonus plan today. Oh man, I can't help it. I I, I have so many books I love. Um, but a book that I'm reading, um, actually just finished it. So it's the most recent book that I'm recommending. It's called uh, Die with Zero, and it is by Bill Perkins. I highly recommend that book. It talks a lot about this concept of alternative retirement that we were kind of talking about in the pre-show. So, you know, not just working till you're 65, you know, hopefully in a job you don't hate and then uh, retiring and and playing golf and, you know, watching TV. (laughs) This is my spin on it, right? My spin is how do we just eliminate the need to retire? What What if I told you you had to work until you died. So that's not so much his book, but it, it leads in the same way. So if you had to work till you retire, what would you do? What job would you do? Because well, we don't have to save for retirement if we work forever, if we work until we die. And we obviously want to save in case we're not able to work. You know, we have some health issues or whatnot. But having that mentality of not work and not retiring allows us to really think through what do I really want to do with the rest of my life? 
and and trying to identify a job that you really may not be your passion, right? But it's something that you enjoy doing. It's something what I would, you know, what I think through when I think through these things, I recommend, you know, people they look for something that that they can do as they age, right? And so re-roofing people's houses is probably not something you can do when you're 70. But if that really is the thing that you love, you know, maybe you can build a business out of it. But trying to think through these types of things, that way over time, you can slowly roll off your career as opposed to just taking this huge, you know, stair step down into not doing anything at all and losing, you know, your the reason that you got up in the morning for the last however many years, losing your social status, losing your friends, because a lot of our friends we make through our work. How can we kind of eliminate this concept of retirement and actually do something that's fulfilling and, and we can give back and that sort of a thing. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, and, and it gets to the point, if you, if you love what you do, you're not working at that point, yeah. I've always said. All right. What's a, what's a tool that you use in your business every day that you might recommend? Yeah. So, the tool, you know, I've fought it for two years now. I didn't want to pay for it. I thought it was silly. It's really not that expensive, but I'm an engineer, right? So, I'm trying to cut, you know, everything needs to be maximized unless I like hit myself and snap out of it. But the tool is Calendly. Have you used Calendly? I, so, I'm the same way for years. <laughs> I bought, 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 bought it because I had, you know, I had an assistant. And so, I'm like, well, you know, I thought it was much more personal to let Cindy deal with, you know, okay, scheduling all this stuff. And then I would find that I'd look at my calendar and there's all these hold, 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 hold. And I'm trying to find a spot to put an appointment in and I don't know which ones are going to be which and where and all that. So, it was really during the pandemic. And I think a lot of people kind of migrated yeah. during that time. And, and I, yeah, I've, I use it exclusively now. Yeah. I, I've tried... Gosh, I can't even remember all the companies that I've tried that offer like uh, free or cheaper versions, including Microsoft has their own bookings. I've tried probably three other ones and and I just, you know what, I have to just go back to the one that is really good, which is Calendly. So, highly recommend it for any entrepreneur. It works. I think the, the thing I love about it too is the ability for it to set up the reminders and all that stuff. So, I mean, for something that was booked you know, buy a computer basically that ensures that I, I rarely, rarely, rarely have people not show up to me. Oh, yeah. Yeah, now it's it, great. Yeah. And I mean, I would find that when I did people booking stuff for me. I, I even find it now with my assistant that books appointments for me. I find that people, it's like, okay, you spoke to a human, you book the thing, and then you didn't show up to it. But if, if the computer booked it, you're good. So I, I just whatever I'm I'm happy with it, but yeah, I, it's I, the ownership I maybe ever, and it was had nothing to do with cost. It was just like I don't want this kind of dispassionate thing doing the work. Mm-hmm. It, you yeah. know, I mean, it made Cindy happier by all means, and it made me happier in the long run. So, yeah, yeah, great tool. The last question for you is: What is your definition of freedom? Well, I think I went into it a little bit there earlier without uh without trying or without being prompted. But my definition of freedom is not what I would have called it before, which many years ago, I would have called it financial independence. You know, being able to have a certain amount of money that I could take a withdrawal off of and pay all my expenses. That is no longer my definition of freedom. 
my definition of freedom is synonymous with the word opportunity. And so I have the opportunity to do what I want to do, whether that is start my business or, you know, whatever, go on vacation with my family, or I have the opportunity to go on a bike ride with my children. That's the freedom. And so, you know, finding a career that allows me to do those things, I think is the definition of freedom for me. And it's not something that I want to leave. I hope I'll be doing this job when I'm 70 and 80 and hope maybe longer. Hey, we don't dig ditches for a living, man. So that life is good. Yeah. Well, Kyle, thank you so much for being on the show. I really, truly appreciate it. It was a fun conversation. And, you know, me being in a similar you know role as you, it's, it's fun to have these kind of conversations and, and see that we're kind of, you know, we're on the same path, just different, different, you know, target clients, but same path. And, and I appreciate you taking your time today. Yeah, likewise, man. It was really good. I tried not to uh, talk shop too much, you know, but I really appreciate you it. It's been fun. Shop. What are you doing, man? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Thanks a lot for being on. Uh, folks, as always, we do these shows Tuesdays and Thursdays. The whole idea is to help share different paths with you to share different stories. And I think Kyle's is a great story of someone who really <laughs> was the cubicle warrior who died a little bit every day at work until he found something that he was passionate about and he loves and will do it probably for the rest of his life. So you need to find your passion as well. Make sure that if this resonated with you, share this with your audience, share this with your folks on social media, and make sure that you hit that little up like button, subscribe to the channel, all that kind of good stuff, but hit the up like button so we know you exist out there. And if you've got the guts, I wanna see some comments on this show. Thanks a lot, and we will see you guys back here the very next time. Thank you for listening to the Freedom Nation podcast. You can find us on Apple Podcasts and all the major channels. Wherever you're listening, please subscribe to the channel and leave a rating and review. If you have friends and family that could benefit from their own Freedom Day, please share with them. Finally, join Freedom Nation by following us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.